It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience. And without robbing you of the joy, of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Monday episode of Locked on Raptors, things seem to be coming together a little bit for the Raptors after a one-on-one weekend against the Celtics and Pistons. They're looking healthy, and their two best players seem to be figuring out how to coexist with one another in different spots on the floor. We'll get into that and a whole lot more as we break down the weekend on today's show. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Monday, November the 20th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for 10 seasons on various platforms. You can find all my work over on the website that's busted at Woodley, Sean. You can find the show on Instagram at Locked On Raptors, and of course, come hang out in our Discord server. The link for the Locked On Raptors Discord is in the description of the podcast. It's a great place to be. Lots of good folks in there talking ball, talking movies, talking all sorts. 
sorts of stuff in a very friendly, non-toxic environment. What a world. The internet in a, like a group setting to talk about a sport where it's not nasty all the time. I think you should join for that reason alone. It's also free to do. Link in the description again. It's always there and would love to see you join us in our little Locked On Raptors family. You can also find the show for free wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Please subscribe, follow, rate, review, hit the little notification bell on YouTube so you never miss an episode once it premieres. It's all good stuff and it all makes me feel very good and strokes my ego and makes the show more popular in the algorithm and all that stuff. So thanks for doing all of that. All right, on today's show, breaking down a couple of games from the weekend for the Raptors, a narrow loss in the in-season tournament debut for the Toronto Raptors on Friday against the very good Boston Celtics. I think a mostly promising game. Yeah, you know, you'd love to see Darko Ryakovich not foul out his own player, you know, clearly schooled at the school of Taylor Jenkins, you know, fouling out Jaron Jackson Jr. all the time on it, you know, just kind of by his own will because he's scared of more fouls. Certainly happened with Pascal in this game. Game got a little away from the Raptors in the second quarter with Pascal sitting too long. And so, you know, that's a concern. But uh, it's also, you know, a one-off game. And they lost by three. And they had a really good Scotty Barnes look in the corner to try to tie it late in this one. Hard to be too upset about a narrow loss to the team that I think is the best in the NBA right now. Uh, you Then you just, like, completely wax the very bad Pistons. That was a nice thing to see. A nice little get-well game for the Raptors. They get healthy as well. They quite literally get well. With OG and Anobi coming back, the shooting not there, everything else absolutely there for OG. Uh, this was a fun little weekend of hoop for your Raptors, and uh, I think sets them up going into a very interesting week, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. Looking forward to what's on tap. Magic tomorrow, in-season tournament implications aplenty. Uh, Must-win in the in-season tournament. That's cool. A must-win game in November. That's rad. I love the in-season tournament so, so much. You get the Pacers. You get the Bulls. You got uh, all sorts of stuff coming up for the Raptors here. Uh, the Nets in just over a week's time as well as they will round out their in-season tournament schedule. That's the recap of the weekend. Let's get into the nitty-gritty, shall we? We'll come into the show. We'll, we'll dig in off the top to Pascal and Scotty and some pretty promising signs, I think, from those two. Got a little on Jakob Pertl, who had a really nice weekend. Got the, the game chain yesterday, um, which, funnily enough, for listen, listeners of the show, it seems as though the game chain that they give out to like the dude who did the stuff uh, that, that Darko liked the most at the end of wins very much just seems like a version of the dude of the game segment that used to exist on this very podcast. So uh, the influence spreading, clearly. Uh, we got the good, the bad, and the hmm from the weekend as well. But let's start off with the, I think, coalescing that has begun between the two best players on this Raptors team. And this is an important thing, of course. This entire season is going to be viewed through the lens of who fits with Scotty Barnes and how do all of these pieces sort of interconnect? What is the interplay? What is the best way to build this team around Scotty Barnes going into the future? That is the number one most important question. And Pascal Siakam, obviously, is a dude who's being evaluated in this very way. He's not been extended. He's a free agent coming into the season or going into the offseason. It's, uh, you know, we all know the deal with Pascal at this point. And obviously the first couple games of the season did not exactly seem promising for the idea that Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes could work with one another in a complementary way. You know, the concerns about overlap, the concerns about, you know, occupying the same spaces on the floor, those were there. I kind of think this weekend and, you know, a lot of games in recent in this recent run, kind of going back to even, you know, the Dallas win where Pascal really went off. Um, I'm starting to feel as though these two guys are figuring out where to be on the floor to complement one another and how they can each exist on the floor 
in a way that doesn't impede what the other guy is trying to do. And, and you know, Darko Ryakovich obviously, I think, you know, has a big role in this as he has to deploy the players and tell them what to run and all this stuff. But it does feel like there's some comfort growing between Pascal and Scotty and how they play off of one another. We know, like, transition, those two dudes are incredible. They complement one another, obviously. They're running like maniacs. Scotty's finding Pascal. Pascal's finding Scotty. That's all good stuff. The half court, obviously, is where things have been a bit more of a challenge. And the Raptors have not been a good half court team, although they are now second to bottom in the NBA in half court offense, surpassing the Portland Trailblazers. They're now like four points ahead of the Blazers, who I guess had a really bad weekend of half court offense. Um, and they're right on the heels of 28th of the Memphis Grizzlies. So baby steps. It's looking great for the Raptors half court offense, a game in which they score 130 points per 100 possessions uh, against the Pistons on Sunday will certainly buoy that number. They've been needing a buoying number like that for quite some time. For me, with Scotty and Pascal, obviously, again, like the sort of criticism of the two is all oh, they occupy the same spaces. They can't work with one another. And I just kind of don't think that's been true so far this year. These guys are getting their looks. They're both, you know, top two in the team in scoring. They're both around 20 points a game. Pascal, after a really rough start, true shooting wise, has, you know, bounced back up close to league average. The three points still kind of, you know, banging, you know, pulling his numbers down. But uh, his two point scoring has been ludicrously good over the last little while here. That continued into the game against the Pistons, where it started off rough. Asar Thompson was some excellent pick, you know, post defense. And then, you know, Pascal kind of figured it out as, uh, as the game went along, finished with a nice 10 of 18, 23 to lead the team. And so let's just kind of dig into some of the different areas these guys are having success in and how they comment one another. First of all, like this all gets easier because of Scotty Barnes's general everywhereness, right? The dude is doing everything all the time. He is a catch and shoot wizard right now. He can work as a pick and roll ball handler or as a pick and roll dive man. He obviously can create from the wings. And a big part of that is teams are now starting to close out on him because the three-pointers keep on falling. Eventually, those scouting reports are going to change, and that's going to lead to a whole lot of attacking from the wings and Scotty Barnes getting downhill. We know Scotty can also post up. like That's part of his bag, but I think it's been less of his bag this season. He more sort of has those bully drives where he you know, sort of bobs and bounds his way into a good floater or a hook shot, and that's a perfectly viable way for him to run offense. And I just think we're seeing that there isn't that same clear overlap of these guys occupying the same spots on the floor. Pascal's pick and roll operation way down more than okay to funnel some of that towards Scotty Barnes. And Scotty's been one of their better pick and roll ball handlers so far this season. Um, Siakam's post-up numbers, of course, are just like instant offense for this team. You throw it to him in the post, something's going to happen good, whether he scores on an individual matchup that he can cook, which is basically every matchup in the league at this point, or he's going to draw to kick out and there's going to be something good on the back end of that. Um, you know, Scotty Barnes is drawing two to the ball. Like having two guys who can draw two to the ball, pretty good way to counter a lack of traditional spacing because it just creates space for others just by the mere fact that two guys are converging on one player how basketball works and that's been nice to see um pascal's post-up numbers by the way 1.17 points per possession on post-ups 3.5 possessions a game that's near the top of the league he's 84th percentile in efficiency and among players with more than two post-ups per game which is i think nearly about 50 players i don't know the exact number in front of me i lost the page but it's about 50 players uh pascal's fifth behind anthony davis jason tatum carl anthony towns and Chris Stapp's Porzingis in post-up efficiency. He's been really bloody good there, and that is something Scotty Barnes does not do with the same level of efficiency, and I kind of think it's perfect that they're just kind of letting the post-up world be the world in which P Pascal Siakam goes to work. Um, you know, Scotty, obviously, 
He's crushing it as a, po- as a spot-up guy right now. 1.2 points per possession as a spot-up player. He's shooting 45% on four catch-and-shoot threes per game. That's bonkers. Uh, and, you know, obviously his pull-up mid-range has been a thing as well. And that's a thing that Pascal had a lot to, a lot in his game the last couple seasons. That's been funneled more towards Scotty in terms of share of pull-up mid-rangers. Obviously, Pascal's going to get to his office. We saw it a few times against the Pistons. He's going to have those 10, 12, 14-footers that go up and are cash. But Scotty, obviously, is kind of using the pick and roll to navigate into those mid-range jumpers. And that's been a nice thing. And he's shooting 52% on pull-up twos, 3.8 a game. That's pretty impressive. Um, all of this is bearing out in sort of the on-court impact numbers of Scotty and Pascal. Together, they've been really good. Uh, in particular, him, those two, Pascal, Scotty, and OG Ananobi, those three guys together on the floor are winning their min- minutes just uh, tremendously right now. Plus 14.4 net rating for the Pascal Barnes OG trio on the floor with one another that balloons up to 34.6 plus 34.6 when Yaka Pirtle's not playing which is interesting we'll talk about Yaka in a second um it's just like 78 possessions it's not a, it's not much but the defensive rating with those three guys on the floor with no Yaka Pirtle is under 90 really really good stuff you know again we're seeing Scotty kind of flex his muscles in all these different areas of the floor and his three-point shooting has been massive I think we all came into this season thinking huh If Pascal can hit some threes, that's going to make things easier for everybody on this offense because you'll have Pascal and OG and Gary Trent Jr. able to hit threes. And that's a nice thing. Uh, Turns out it's just been the other way around. And Scotty Barnes has become the guy who's taking and making those threes. It's been tremendous. Is it going to be 39% all season long from deep? Is it going to be 45% on catch and shoots all year? We'll see. The early returns are very nice. The jump shot form looks incredible and all of that. Um, but you know, you've got two guys who are working in concert with one another, doing damage in different play types that are not overlapping with one another. And in fact, kind of feed into one another. If you start to get creative with it, you know, they're finding ways of getting Siakam, those really great deep seals working off those cuts where he kind of throws it into Yaka Pirtle cuts towards the basket and Yaks throwing in these gorgeous passes. There was one in that Pistons game, just this like gorgeous rainbow pass. that just kind of flutters up and into Siakam's hands on the other side of the defender. He goes up and scores. They're finding ways to get both of these guys in the spots where they can be successful. Again, it gets way easier when Scotty Barnes is doing all he's doing on offense, but that's what stars do. Stars make life easier for everybody else. And, you know, we're seeing obviously both guys really take part in the playmaking department as well. It's not like one guy is seeing his assist number hemorrhage because the other guy's racking them up. No, they're just both like walking into five or six assists every single night. And yeah, they lost to the Celtics on Friday. Yeah, Scotty didn't have an amazing game. I thought there was some pretty good process for him and some looks that he'd normally make that weren't going down. Um, But all told, we're seeing that this team can work with those two guys as the two best players. The fit, obviously, and the context of the rest of the roster is what's going to be the real determining factor as to whether or not it's something you can go forward with long term. But they're making it work and figuring out a way to kind of coalesce with one another and not infringe upon each other's territory while they do it. That's been very promising. We're going to come back on the other side. And we're going to talk about Jakob Pertl, talk about Dennis Schroeder, Gary Trent Jr., who all kind of showed their value to lifting up this team over the weekend. Jakob in particular had a really nice uh, couple of games. Dennis Schroeder bouncing back after a couple of really miserable games last week as well. We'll get into all that coming up in just one second. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our good friends over at Prize Picks, the single best place to go and play daily 
fantasy sports. You got to check them out. It's really a fantastic thing because they've made it so simple and just the way it should be. You're not up against some sort of shadow expert when you're on prize picks. You know, a lot of daily fantasy apps, you go in there, you make a roster and you're up against some expert or some shadow team. You don't even know what it is. You haven't had the time to do all the algorithms and the projections to get it right. No, instead, Prize picks is just you against their projections, and that is super simple. It's the way it should be. All you got to do is pick two to six players on a given entry, and whether they will get more or less than the projected stat in courtesy prize picks, in whatever category it might be. If you get all six right, you can win up to 25 times your money on your prize picks entry. Prize picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play, even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second. That player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. You can also do cross-sport entries with the Specials League. If you want to check out that, maybe you want to you know, put together a projection of Travis Kelsey receptions plus LeBron James three-pointers made. You can do that with PrizePix. Go check it out right now. PrizePix.com slash LockedInNBA. Use the code LockedInNBA for a first deposit match of $200. That's PrizePix.com slash LockedInNBA. Code LockedInNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix is daily fantasy sports made easy. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, we continue breaking down the sort of big picture stuff from the one-on-one weekend against the Celtics and the Pistons. Uh, let's dive into Yaka Pertle, shall we? He was... Really good over the weekend. Friday in the game against the Celtics, 5 of 5, 11 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, a steal. And then against the Pistons, he got the chain like we talked about. Uh, 7 of 11 from the field. Sorry, I'm reading that wrong. I'm reading Scotty Barnes's line. 6 of 6 from the field. He hasn't missed a shot since last Wednesday. That's tight. 16 points, 10 boards, 4 assists, a steal, 3 blocks, and a plus 21 for Yaka Pertle. And look, Yaka Pertle is an imperfect fit on this team. We know this, right? Like, this, this is a... A guy who is amplified when he's playing with a point guard who has a pull-up shot to open up that space in the middle of the floor for those short roll opportunities, and they just haven't had that this year. Dennis Schroeder does not command players fighting over screens and pick and roll actions. Teams are going to go under. Sometimes he can burn them with their speed anyway, with his speed anyway. He can get to the rim. He can get those paint touches, and he can find guys in space kind of rolling towards the rim, but it's less easy. That said, Jakob Pertl's making it work, and as sort of up and down as his season has felt, the numbers are pretty undeniable that Jakob Pertl has been a positive force for this team. Uh, so far this year, per NBA.com's tracking data, uh, 1.37 points per possession as a role man, 79th percentile in the NBA. That's excellent. He's giving them real role gravity and real role finishing. Speaking of the finishing, you know, you look at Jakob Pertl, you think, oh, he's missing a lot of bunnies this year, isn't he? Not so. He's shooting 84.7% inside three feet. 
84.7. That's incredible. That is by far a career high. It's not going to last that high, obviously. That's an incredible number to be shooting at the rim. But Jakob Pertl's doing it. Obviously, when he's on the floor, the Raptors are a much better rebounding team. You know, that trio of Scotty, uh, OG, Pascal, um, you know, obviously the numbers overall are better when it's just those three, no Yak. But when Yak's on the floor, this is one of the best rebounding teams in the NBA. They scoop up about 80% of the available defensive rebounds. And that fuels, obviously, the single best transition attack in the NBA. This was a really good weekend for reminding everybody why the Raptors traded for Yaka Pirtle. And again, I know it's imperfect. Long term, can he be the center on a team if you are going to invest in the OG Pascal Scotty trio, which maybe they won't. Maybe they move on from Pascal and it makes Yaks fit that much easier to massage. But if you want to go just on the pure talent play, what's the best talent play for this team going forward? It's keeping those three big wings together and figuring out the rest later. And figuring out the rest later might mean Yaka Pirtle is not part of the long-term solution for this team. But that doesn't mean he's bad. doesn't mean he's useless. And it doesn't mean that he wasn't worth a first-round pick a couple seconds in Kem Birch. And I, you know, again, this trade, I'm going to like lose my mind thinking about this trade for the rest of the time. It's so polarizing. Everyone's very, very strong in how they feel about this trade. And I think it can be kind of an in-between thing where it's not perfect. The fit is not great. It's probably a, a case of the Raptors making a move at the wrong time for the wrong center and amplifying their mistake by not keeping Fred Van Vliet to have that pull-up shooting threat to pair with Jakob Pertl. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a place on this team. And it doesn't mean that they're not better with him on the team than they would have been with whatever center solutions they might have figured out outside of that. I don't think there was a big signing coming in the offseason. They didn't have cap space. It might have been a mid-level they throw at some center. Mid-level centers routinely do not perform. Aaron Baines, for example, is a pretty recent example of that. Um, Jakob Pertl would not have been available for the mid-level. He's a better player than that. He would have earned some scratch. I think, you know, if you look at... Uh, lost my train of thought a little bit, but you know, just getting Yaka Pirtle on this team, it sets it up as a better developmental environment. Even with the imperfect fit, this team can go and actually play real sensible, normal basketball with an actual rim protector, with a real defense that allows them to play within the sort of integrity that you want to see when you have as much defensive talent as they have. That's all opened up by Yaka Pirtle. This is a top 10 defense right now. Yaka Pirtle's existence on it is what allows them to be a top 10 defense. Um, even with all the wing talent they have, you got to have rim protection and Yaka Pirtle provides that rim protection in spades, uh, as the Pistons, he completely demolished them yesterday at the rim. It was awesome to see having him on the team is good. It's a perfect no, but like, think about Jonas Valanciunas. The Raptors went for years with Jonas Valanciunas at the center of those DeMar and Kyle teams. It was never perfect. He couldn't close a lot. There were plenty of playoff games where you're not closing with Jonas Valanciunas because his defensive coverages and pick and roll just weren't there. Um, you know, it was an imperfect fit for a long time for a guy who made pretty reasonable market value money to play center. It's a very similar situation with Yaka Pirtle. It's not perfect, but it's something you can address down the line. And I think the sort of the consensus on Yaka has gone so far the other way to start this year. Like I've seen suggestions that he's like a negative contract. Like, no, it's just not true. 20 million bucks in today's day and age, it's going to be barely north of the mid-level exception in a couple of years. Like the cap is going up. That's just what starters cost. And Yaka Pirtle is a starting level center. I think this weekend was a really nice reminder of that and a reminder of just how useful he can be on this team, even if he's not a perfect fit alongside the best players. You can figure out perfect fit down the line. Building a team with perfect fit 
basically impossible in the NBA. Acquiring players is challenging. Acquiring the exact perfect players, basically impossible. And so I, I think for now, you live with it, you work with it, you work around the parameters and the limitations that come with it, knowing you can lean on that Scotty, OG, Pascal front court in big, tight moments of close games. You can do that and have success as they have so far this year. Yaka Pertl still has a lot of utility on this team. And I think, again, this was a really nice reminder of that this weekend, that this team, despite the imperfection, can absolutely make things work with Yaka Pertl out there. And then, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Gary Trangini, those you guys kind of in the sort of next tier of supporting players on this Raptors squad after the top three guys. Uh, really nice to see Gary Trent Jr. rounding into form all of a sudden, 37% on threes. He shot pretty decently, four or five on twos in the game against the Pistons. That's good to see. Um, you know, his true shooting still down under 50%, but it's creeping up steadily and he looks a lot more comfortable. And it's just like injecting space into the team. The absence of him the last few games before he got back, so obvious, just the, the lack of space that was within those second units or those staggered starting units where, where Gary's in there. Uh, he provides space. He makes defenses think. You need to have guys who make defenses think, and he is one of the very few guys on this team who does that when he's standing 30 feet from the, from the, from the, from the basket. So that's great to see. And then Dennis Schroeder, not a ton of analysis, just like really glad he looked better over the weekend. He looked really slow at a step, perhaps a little hurt, in the games against the Wizards and Bucks last week. And without Dennis Schroeder performing at something resembling what he's done so far this season, this team's dead in the water because they don't have any other point guard play, really. Malachi Flynn's done some nice things here and there. I don't think you're trusting Malachi Flynn to be your starting point guard at any point this year and hoping for good things. Dennis Schroeder's got to be where he's been or close to it for, for this team to really have a shot. And it was nice to see him bounce back against the Celtics. Obviously, the threes falling for him is massive. You don't expect he's going to go five of 11 most nights, but uh, he's been very eager to take those catch and shoot threes that come to him within the flow. Even going 0 of 4 from deep in the game against the Pistons didn't feel it because he was scoring from two really effectively and was able to balance that out. I think, uh, yeah, Dennis over the last couple of games, I think, dispelled my concerns that he was looking hurt or whatever obviously i'm no doctor i was just kind of you know reading the tea leaves and looking what was in front of me a guy just not looking like he had the same zip and pop that he had before the zip and pop is back and that's a huge thing for the raptors so yak the big takeaway among the sort of complimentary guys this weekend but schroeder and trent i think looking pretty good as well as the team once again i'll use the word coalesce it's going to take time obviously 13 games they've had some in and out guys with injury Things were never going to be super smooth immediately, but we're seeing things kind of gel together a little bit more here. They kind of have a bit more of a plan of what they want to do, some more lineups they can lean on, some different shooting options they can to kind of inject into these lineups. I think we're seeing it come along ever so slowly, but baby steps, you got to have baby steps before you have big, long, bounding steps. We'll come back on the other side, get into the good, the bad, and the hmm to round out this week. We'll talk about Precious Achua. We'll talk about uh, bright colors. Yeah, bright lights, bright colors, uh, overstimulation. And we'll talk about the big week that lies ahead for the Raptors. We'll get to that in just one sec. But first, got to tell you that our good friends over at FanDuel, the number one sports book in North America. You got to go check them out. Right now is a perfect time to score early this NFL season with America's number one sports book because FanDuel right now for new customers, are they're going to get five bucks back. Or sorry, you're going to get 150 bucks back for every $5 money line bet you win. So what they got to do is just put down a $5 winning money line bet. You get your $150 in bonus bets back on that offer. And all of a sudden you have all these bonus bets money to throw in other stuff. You know, Thanksgiving's coming up down in the States this Thursday. A great time to sit around, watch football, do nothing. And 
put a little money down on some football if you want to go do that. Maybe you want to go and put a little money on the Raptors game. Maybe you're going to a Raptors game sometime in the near future. You want to liven up the in-game experience, you can go and do that. If you're thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So you can visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now and kick off the NFL season. The I guess the, the stretch run of the NFL season, Thanksgiving, you're getting down to the wire, the nitty-gritty. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL and of the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, rounding out the show here with the good, the bad, and the hmm, the way we round out every post-game episode of the pod here. Uh, Of course, two games wrapped into one. We're just kind of pulling the big bits from the games against the Celtics and Pistons. So we'll start with the good, a thing I liked from this weekend. Precious Achua, nice stuff. Again, like this guy, I'm never going to be able to quit him. I just can't, you know, for every hilarious like mistake driving the ball and kicking it off his foot or, you know, just making an erroneous drive into a set defender or whatever it might be. He just balances it out with so many thrilling, dazzling plays on both ends of the floor. That is defense in the Celtics game was really nice. A couple just like clean strips of Jason Tatum. Not an easy thing to do, but Precious was there to do it. He can defend anybody, right? He can defend on the wings. He can defend bigs. He can even pinch hit and defend guards. He's an incredible defensive player. And like the bodily control he has, it's remarkable. He's just uh, an absolute wonder on that end of the floor when he's really engaged. It's just, it's oppressive. Like it makes other opposing players look like they want to cry. On offense, obviously, we know it's an up-and-down battle, uh, but we're seeing some really nice strides. You know, we've seen a little bit of the experimentation with him as like an elbow hub, a lot of work with Malachi Flynn and Gary Trent Jr. in those second units. I'm not like a huge fan of it. I think you could probably run more effective stuff, but obviously you got a balanced development with winning, and he's producing in pretty interesting ways. In the game against the Pistons, five assists to go along with his 12 points, hit two of his four threes. That's massive. If the threes are falling for Precious Achua, holy hell, it's a game changer. I have maybe kind of given up on him getting back to where he was during the 2021-22 season where he shot like 38, 40% down the stretch on like four attempts a game. But if he can be 34, 35% on like reasonable volume, he could just take them when they come to him and, and hit them when, when they're available. That's a nice thing because that'll also make his drives that much more effective and hard to guard. And the drives are really nice. Like he gets that ball at the top of the arc. He can just kind of power his way to the rim because he's really strong and really fast. Uh, he's been, you know, pretty impressive on some keeper plays in those dribble handoff situations. 
liking what we saw from Precious Achua this weekend. Nice to see him kind of getting back into a rhythm after being out injured. Um, he's huge. Darko Ryakovich talked a lot about him too. He's really hard on him, he says, because of uh, all that he thinks he can do. And uh, it was nice to see him really pop off against the Pistons. Hopefully he can kind of make this into a bit of a trend where he is a reliable, dependable, kind of set your watch to him type of bench player. Setting your watch to Precious Achua feels like a recipe for being late a lot. But uh, when he's on, when he's on, like, man, thrilling player to watch. and was really, really good against the Pistons. Nice to see. Uh, let's go to the bad. This is just like a, a minor one. I love the in-season tournament. I love the, the, the courts. I think in general, the Raptors court looked really good. I don't love their jerseys. I've talked about that, but that court makes them pop a little bit more than they would on basically any other surface. So that's fine. But my God, uh, was anyone else just like horribly overstimulated because they didn't seem to realize that the ad boards around the arena were going to reflect off of the uh, court, like the sun reflects off the Arctic. Uh, just like really, really hard to watch at times, especially when there was like green ads on the video boards, just kind of just glaring off of the floor, uh, you know, a matte finish would have been an, maybe an all right idea. I don't know. Um, I'm not a floor paint expert, but uh, I would hope that they kind of work on the, the lighting situation. You know, frankly, give me theater lighting for every Toronto Raptors game, you know, dumb down the, the lights and the overstimulation in the exterior parts. What's on the court should be lit. Like it's a theater, make it beautiful and, you know, kind of, you know, dull down the rest of the, the, the stimulation, the rest of the arena. And I would be perfectly all right with that. But yeah, that's like the one drawback of the uh, in-season tournament so far is I could barely watch that Celtics game for spots because of how uh, just flashy and bright and uh, like just very in your face. The, 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 the lights off of the floor were um, would hope to see some sort of rectification of that issue. Let's get to the hmm, rounded out. Big week for the Raptors. Uh, I'm excited to see the Raptors this week play some contemporaries. So far, they've played 13 games. They're six and seven. They have a barely positive point differential. And frankly, you'll take that considering the schedule they've played so far. So far this year, the Raptors per ESPN.com, fifth toughest schedule in the NBA. They were third going into yesterday's game against the Pistons. They've played kind of a gauntlet. If you look at just like the breakdown of who they've played, six of their 13 games, almost half of their games have come against the presumed top three teams in the Eastern Conference who are currently the top three teams in the Eastern Conference by standings. Uh, the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Sixers, they have played six of like, they've played over half of their games against those teams on the schedule for this year already in 13 games. That's nutty. Uh, they've played two more games against West contenders in Minnesota and Dallas, who I think are both very good teams. And then you've played five games against the absolute dregs, the Bulls, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Wiz, the Pistons sucks. You're only three and two in those games. They could have been easily four and one if that Bulls game didn't go so awry, so hilariously late in that one, um, you know, three and two against the very, very bad teams. You want better than that, but still six and seven after the gauntlet they've been through really interesting. And it's been hard to kind of gauge and feel out where this team sits within the East because they haven't played any of their teams that are kind of alongside them in that battle for, you know, six seed or play in or whatever. However you think the Raptors figure into this whole thing, they've not played any of their contemporaries just yet. And I'm fascinated to see what it's going to look, 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 look like this week. That is you have the magic on Tuesday in a must win in season tournament game. That's super fun. You get the Pacers and you have the Raptors on Wednesday. I think both will be on back-to-backs. So that'll be a fun one. Um, looking forward to, to checking that out. There will be 
And, you know, the Pacers are just like so fun to watch. They had an awful game against the Magic yesterday. I wonder if the Magic gave a bit of a blueprint. Like that Pacers team can't defend anybody. Like I think the Raptors will have a nice half-court performance. They'll also probably run a whole lot because the Pacers run a whole lot. They just play like a breakneck speed going both ways. And so I wonder if that matchup might actually play into the Raptors' hands. Can you stick OG on Tyrese Halliburton and ruin his day a little bit? Does Dennis Schroeder help ruin a Tyrese Halliburton day? Can you force some misses and run? Like that's a really, really fascinating matchup. Kind of a styles make fights type of thing. Uh, looking forward to that game Wednesday against the Pacers. You got the in-season tournament against the Bulls on Friday. That's not a contemporary. The Bulls stink. Then you got the Cavs, you got the Nets in their last in-season tournament game. You got the Suns, who are a good team, not perfect. Um, certainly one the Raptors have had some success with in recent years as well, albeit very different iterations than the current Phoenix Suns. But either way, at least three of their next six games, depending on what you feel about the Cavs and the Suns and the Bulls, but at least three are against teams that are kind of in their class within the within, within the NBA, within the Eastern Conference, and seeing how they perform in those games, I think, would be pretty telling and give us a lot more sort of, you know, actionable information when it comes to the ongoing process that is data collection of what this team looks like with Scotty Barnes looking like the player he looks like, this sort of new normal. They're in the information accrual phase as to what works, what doesn't, what's got to stick, what's not going to stick. And those games are going to be as informative as any have been so far this year. Really looking forward to those. Um, by the way, a bonus good, the Raptors losing by just three to Boston, a game I think we all expected they'd lose in the in-season tourney. Uh, but hey, man, they, 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 they've kept their like the integrity of their in-season tournament bid intact because of the point differential. Just losing by three, they currently are, are working all right with the point differential. Um, you know, the magic are a minus eight. If you can beat the magic, that's going to eliminate the magic. First of all, from any contention in the tournament, you got the nets who are two and one right now. That's the final game of the in-season tournament for the Raptors. So that'll be, uh, something to keep an eye on. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the in-season tournament's working. I'm fascinated. I'm doing math of, uh, point, point differentials and group stage wins and losses and head to heads and all this stuff. It's awesome. I love it. And, uh, really cool that the Raptors were able to not totally ruin themselves by losing by like 25 on Friday and putting themselves in a massive hole to have to dig out of. Um, the point differential matters and being minus three going into their three easier games on the slate. You could do worse than what the Raptors are looking at. And of course, if they lose to the magic tomorrow, it's all over and they'll be toast anyway. So hope they can win. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again on Tuesday, another episode of the show. Not sure what we'll talk about yet. It's an off day or it's a lead into a game day. So um, we'll, we'll figure out something fun, something big picture. And then Wednesday, we'll break down the game against the Magic. Vivek and I are actually going to go and do a podcast right after the in-season tournament game against Orlando. So you'll have that to look forward to. We'll have a game recap on Thursday with Jamar Hines. That'll be tons of fun. Uh, we got Katie Heindel mixed in somewhere as well. But with that, we will leave off with uh, we'll leave you to the rest of your day, that is, and round up today's show. Thank you for supporting. Follow, subscribe, rate, review, et cetera. Wherever you get your podcast, it's always appreciated. Please go and uh, join the Discord. Link is in the description. It's right there. It's free to do. We'd love to see you in there as well. We'll talk to you again Tuesday with another episode of Lockdown Raptors. Thanks for hanging. Bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.